Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shami, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Welcome everyone back to the Six Hats podcast. And today we have Simone Roberg back with us. I'm really excited. She's our amazing integrative nutritionist. She has over 15 years of experience in clinical nutrition, working alongside top integrative doctors. And today, Simone is going to talk about metabolic syndrome, a common modern day health issue. And so welcome, Simone. Thank you so much for having me again, Shami. I'm so delighted to be here again. So it's so funny, Simone, I was reflecting on our podcast today, metabolic syndrome, which is literally insulin resistance, is all about how the body processes sugar. And the more research I do, I literally feel almost all roads lead to sugar from not only weight gain, which we're familiar with, obviously fatty liver and high cholesterol, which many are familiar with, but also anxiety, depression, and even dementia, what they're calling now type three diabetes. So it's really, and of course the obvious diabetes, but it's really interesting how sugar is so important in terms of how we process it from weight gain, which can lead to inflammatory arthritis, which can lead to aches and pains and headaches. It's, it's just a multitude of symptoms. And often once we get this sugar right, things start to settle because sugar in itself is inflammatory. So I'm really excited to dive deep into metabolic syndrome with you, but I love to start. What exactly is metabolic syndrome? Okay, Shami, because yeah, that term gets used and it's out there and and it was for a while called insulin resistance and also known as syndrome X. It currently is one of the most common diseases around the world. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about it today, because according to the latest stats, it's estimated that more than one in three has metabolic syndrome worldwide. And in Australia, we're heading up over the 30% mark in adults. And this really can't be ignored, Shami. It's massively significant. But I guess what really is scary is that metabolic syndrome, it can go undetected. So many people could be walking around day to day and not even know that they have metabolic syndrome. And as you mentioned with all those other like diabetes and other health issues, it all begins from this. And so that's why I wanted to, um, to raise it and to discuss it today because it can potentially lead to more serious and chronic illness as well as diabetes, heart attack. And then clinics, shall we? we see a lot of women with hormone issues like PCOS. It's been linked to autoimmune conditions as well. So there's so much that's feeding off this. So getting on top of it early is definitely going to pay off. But today I wanted to break it down and keep it really simple and provide the broad brush strokes on metabolic health to help people best navigate. Firstly, Shami, I'd really like to share Dr. Stan Eckberg, a holistic doctor and nutritionist, his snapshot view on insulin resistance. He nails it by stating that insulin resistance is the most lethal most poorly diagnosed, most misunderstood, most mismanaged disease. Fundamentally, the most important thing is if you can understand it, then it is one of the most easily reversible conditions, Shami. That is awesome because this is what we want to do. We want to make it practical. 
and really just you know what can people do to take action now and i totally agree with you when i actually look around and i'm just out in the public and i'm thinking wow you know what have we normalized in today's world and it's so interesting because when i was in france the south of france and my husband and i were doing grd which is literally one of the great walks in the pyrenees and i literally saw a massive difference in the health of the nation I was actually seeing slim families that I found quite rare. And I go, what's this about? Like, why am I finding slim families a shock to the system? And so when I came back to Australia, I go, we've actually normalized that, you know, that tiny bit of weight gain, bit of weight gain around the hips, around the tummy. We've actually normalized it. And the further you go, you know, to different areas of Australia and maybe, you know, to different parts of the country, you actually see morbid obesity. And again, that is normalized. So it is so important. There's so many steps that we can take, but once we understand what's going on, it's actually reversible. And that's really, really important. So I'd love for you to continue, like in simple terms, what is metabolic syndrome? So basically, Shami, metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance, whatever you want to call it, is a condition where your body doesn't respond as it should to insulin. Insulin's a hormone that the pancreas makes that is essential for regulating blood sugar levels. So the muscle, fat, and liver are not able to process glucose from the blood to use it and store it. As a result, the pancreas produces too much insulin to try and compensate for this, and it increases blood sugar levels. This is called hyperinsulinemia. So as you said, when you were going back to France and making those observations, the Australian diet is heavily sugar-based um, and carbohydrates. But the, I guess the seriousness of the condition depends on the individual and the extent to which insulin resistance. Fantastic. Fantastic. So let's start talking about when should we be thinking about metabolic syndrome? So what are the some indications that you may have metabolic syndrome? So usually you'd have three or more of the following conditions, such as firstly, a large waistline. So the extra weight that's around the abdominal region. I know people today are concerned about having a muffin top and what it looks like, but most importantly, from a clinical perspective, having extra weight around this region puts one at risk for chronic illness. So this is usually one of the telltale signs, but there are other indicators such as high blood pressure, high blood sugar levels, triglycerides are a type of fat found in the blood, and high levels can raise LDL, the bad cholesterol. And then this raises risk for heart disease and those other illnesses we were mentioning. If we're looking at cholesterol, low HDL is another indicator and people tend to hit the panic button, and the doctors do too, when the cholesterol markers are elevated. But we need decent cholesterol, like HDL, the good cholesterol, because our body uses it. Like the brain alone uses a significant amount of cholesterol each day to function. Another factor of metabolic syndrome is a high fasting insulin level. Also, elevated uric acid levels. Uric acid manages blood pressure. And this could be a main indication. We've also got fatigue and brain fog. 
And it's really interesting to say fasting insulin. And sometimes I actually mention this to patients because you can have a completely normal fasting gluten, mm. but a high fasting insulin. So fasting mm -hmm. gluten, HbA1c, where you know many are familiar with when they get tested, can look normal. But behind that is a sitting a high fasting insulin. That means it's years before pre-diabetes, years before diabetes, and it's something that we can reverse very quickly. So now that's awesome, awesome, Simone. So, and funnily enough, we want to talk about fasting insulin next. Well, now that you mention it, yes, it does tend to get often overlooked. Quite a few practitioners, I guess the conventional way is to focus on the cholesterol markers, but fasting insulin should be included. It's a very important health marker, especially in modern day illness. The range is usually two to up to 20, but ideally the optimal level should be around five. And most people that come to see me are well over that. So I do recommend that everyone gets their blood tested with fasting insulin included and other several markers to establish an individual health baseline then periodically track these markers to understand the impact of changes made. This should be part of everyone's regular testing routine. Something else that I'd love to add to that is mm -hmm. the, whether you're insulin resistant or not. And an easy way is actually your sugar level times your insulin level divided by 22. Mm -hmm. And anything above two is actually insulin resistance. So it's just when you don't have all the markers in front of you, that's actually really quite good to go actually this is insulin resistance so just wanted to add a bit there for you so when you think about it like what exactly are the causes of this high sugar is it the obvious it certainly is it's what we put in our mouths the c word carbohydrates carb overload so essentially it's high carbs and frequent meals this spikes up insulin and causes insulin resistance. So yes, it is quite basic, but the main offenders that have been highlighted as the worst are sugar and alcohol. Then on top of that, it's the carb overloading through bread, pasta and grains, which are main sources of people's diet every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say something about wheat as well, like wheat yes. own spikes up your insulin. And it's due to, I think it's amylopectin B, which actually just on its own spikes up insulin. So even reducing wheat intake can have a phenomenal difference. Absolutely. It, which, because it's highly processed and highly refined, it is like sugar. Yeah, spot on. Let's talk about sugar, shall we? We'll break it down. Sugar is not our friend, unfortunately. Some doctors... I have followed have referred to sugar as an addictive poison. My own father, Dr. Frederick Spittle, used to say to his patients, it's toxic. And he would he would get quite passionate and go, sugar is toxic. And I think, oh gosh, that's a bit extreme. But then now just seeing over the years how much damage it has caused with people's health, I can really see that. But look on the flip side, it's hard because sugar, it lures us in. It's so easy to become tempted and people are busy, they're stressed and people slip into bad habits and people tend to use it as a crutch for stress release, but the joy doesn't last. The taste and joy in our taste buds only last for maybe around 60 seconds. Then once in the body, it spikes up insulin and causes a whole host of issues in the body. 
But sadly, Shami, sugar is a troublemaker. I would actually agree with you. And, you know, when you think about sugar, it's it's grains. And literally, I was going to ask, you know, a lot of patients ask me, is it okay to eat fruit? Is fruit sugar? What are your thoughts around that? But unfortunately, fructose is another culprit and it should be avoided when trying to get on top of metabolic syndrome. And people do say, why? Because fruit, it does have uh, fiber and nutrients and antioxidants, but fructose actually produces more fat than other sugars. Fructose enhances the fat genes more than glucose. So it's best to keep it out for this condition. Fantastic, fantastic. Is there anything else that we need to be aware when it comes to sugar? So I guess it would be more the ultra-processed food, Shami. That is another major fender. And people sort of think, well, what's ultra-processed food? So, I mean, we do have processed food. We have to eat processed food as humans. We can't always eat it in its raw form. But ultra-processed food is food basically that's in plastic and it has additives. And it's estimated that 60 to 7% of the average diet contains these ultra-processed foods. And I was reading recently um, one of the latest number top two list of books on Amazon that's really hot right now called Ultra Processed People, The Science Behind Food That Isn't Food by Dr. Chris Van Dalekan. He explains the dangers of eating ultra processed food. And according to his studies done in 2019, the findings stated diet was the main cause of early death on earth for humans and has overtaken tobacco. So this was quite mind-blowing. And I thought, wow, this book could be a real eye-opener for some and perhaps a good catalyst for some needed change. Wow, I need to look at that book because it's not really talked about. You know, when you think about it, diet, nutrition, sport mm. in med schools, and you've just literally stated diet is the main cause of early death and doctors don't know much about nutrition, which is really interesting right that's like that's a whole another topic but it really makes you think this is something that all of us can do something about that's in our control that's in our power that can have a a different outcome to our health so it's actually really empowering to have this knowledge which kind of moves on to how can we treat metabolic syndrome now we know it's all about sugar and the various sources of it as well So yes, Shami, doctors are generally quick to prescribe the pharmaceutical drug metformin, which gives some temporary protection, but not really getting to the root cause and work on bringing insulin down. So Shami, as you know, the work that I do, I focus on diet, lifestyle, exercise, fasting, breathing and meditation. This is a natural holistic approach, which is so effective and we get the results. But I guess the most important thing I do want to focus on this podcast is diet. So basically to remove carbohydrates, processed foods, alcohol, fruit and sugar, that would be the most important things and the first step to do. And I guess a diet, I mean, I don't usually like to follow boxed in diets, but the keto diet is actually one of the best diets to treat metabolic syndrome. So a keto diet, I think people know is a low carb diet and a high fat diet. It's basically burning fat for fuel rather than sugar. But people tend to look at the ketogenic diet and go, oh no, it looks too complex and get overwhelmed. 
and look, I totally get this. When I first saw it, in, I think it was in the mid-1990s, when it first came about using it for weight loss, I had a look at it and then I closed the book because I looked at the pyramid, saw the high fat and thought, whoa, that looks so it's too much. Um, so I'm going to break it down today, Shami, and make it super simple for people. So I guess the idea can be easy. The first things first is to fuel the body with clean food. Then focus on a diet that's high in nutrients from good quality protein, a wide variety of veggies and plenty of good fats like avocados, fish, nuts, olive oil, etc. Also, I'd like to add, according to the latest research, that's hot right now, is to help manage metabolic syndrome, is to add in potassium-rich foods because potassium is beneficial to help maintain healthy blood pressure and it also stabilises healthy blood sugar levels. So that's quite important here. And it's quite common these days for the average diet to be really low on potassium. So some examples of potassium-rich foods are things like spinach, your leafy greens, broccoli, avocados, meat, poultry, and nuts. I guess they're the main ones. There are plenty of potassium-rich foods. Thank you so much, Simone, because you've actually, you know, you've made it sound so simple. But what is the, you know, what are the limiting factors here when people want to start the keto? You know, you mentioned it can be, they can feel quite overwhelmed and too hard. So do you have some tips on how they can actually start? Absolutely. I've adopted a really simple approach, Shami. It's generally recommended on the keto diet to eat by these percentages. 65% fat, 20% protein, 5% carb and so forth. So that's when people get stressed and get confused because it is like counting calories and working up percentage. I say no to that. Instead, if you follow this basic guide, I love this. So basically, if you picture a round dinner plate and if half of your plate is salad or vegetables, then a quarter of the plate is protein a quarter of the plate fat and a small amount of carbs, say around 50 to grams. The keto diet is a high fat diet. This is where it can become confusing. So it's recommended, as I mentioned, a quarter of the plate to be fat, but also the protein component will contain some fat, but it's not the quantity of fats as one gram of fat is more than twice the calories of the carb and protein. So the fat amount is actually not as much as people think. So this is a really concept, easy concept to follow using the plate principles. So basically half a plate of salad or veggies, water protein, water fat, and a small portion of carbs. What do you think, Shami? Wow, that makes it so easy because it just... It's made it visual. So when you go for your lunch, go for your dinner, this is what you're looking for. And almost you go, right, where's my protein? Where's my fat? And then you can add the others on. And I really, really like that. It becomes complicated when you start weighing and when you start calculating. Yes. And that's when it takes the joy out of eating and out of mealtime. So I love the way you do that. That's awesome. Thank you. And the patients, when I say, I mean, some of them request, can I go on a keto diet or some that 
have been um, recommended it. And as soon as I go through that, I can see them in their, even in their body language, they sort oh. of ease into it. And go, yeah, this is actually okay. I get it. Excellent. And what about ketogenic diets long-term? What's your opinion on that? That's a really important point, Shami. Yeah, it's not, from the from the research, if you go from the science of it, it's not ideal to stay on it for a long time because once people's insulin and other health markers go back to normal and are in range, then a more balanced diet with some more complex carbohydrates from natural sources, preferably fruit and veggies, would be ideal because these slow down the carb absorption in the blood due to their fiber content and carbohydrates they do actually have a role that we need a bit of carb in our diets especially if you exercise carbohydrates help preserve the muscle according to science the high fats from a keto diet especially long term the fats can actually burn off your muscle mass so that's not ideal so Things like the carnivore diet and these stricter diets, they're good to solve the immediate health issues. And then long-term, it's better to have a wide variety in your diet and have a more balanced approach. And people look, generally tend to be wary of carbs. Carbs can work in your diet if you keep keep it in moderation and, and you know you keep a track on it with your blood tests and, and measure it and see how your body's tolerating it. Fantastic. Now, there's something else I do want to touch on and it's, fasting and is that something that you also discuss with your patients absolutely because intermittent fasting goes really well goes hand in hand with the ketogenic diet that's how the body goes into ketosis it burns fat for fuel so fasting is one of the quickest ways to bring down those insulin levels if it's done correctly so Intermittent fasting, it is currently one of the world's most popular health trends. And intermittent fasting itself, because there's different forms of fasting, intermittent fasting is the most user-friendly out of all the options. So it just involves limiting food consumption during certain hours of the day. And our ancestors thrived from doing this protocol, but they were forced to do this protocol um, because they had to go look for food. So I think our bodies were designed not have food for long periods of time. And then in that amount of time, so our ancestors would fast for long periods of time, sometimes days if there weren't food sources available. Fasting is highly beneficial as during fasting, the body has time to heal, repair and renew. According to Dr. David Sinclair, a longevity expert states that fasting for longer periods 18 plus hours, a process called autophagy occurs where the body gets rid of the bad cells and develops new immune cells. So it's a really powerful tool. I use it a lot in practice. There are so many benefits such as it boosts the immune system. As I mentioned, it reduces insulin levels faster. It aids weight loss, especially it targets around the abdominal fat region. It improves cognition. And from recent studies, it's shown that it improves our gut microbiome. So it is a very worthwhile tool. There are other benefits such as it can be flexible, which is great. That's what we want to hear in modern day times. And it can be tailored to your lifestyle and it can be sustainable in the long term, more so than a traditional low calorie diet. 
But look, everyone's individual and has to work out a fasting protocol that's most optimal for them, ideally supported through a practitioner with expertise in this area. That's amazing, Simone. And it's really interesting. I've just read the book Fasting Like a Girl um, by Dr. Mindy. I've just got to get the name, um, recall the name. And it's really made me aware of like when to fast for women. And it's like, it's actually the first part of your cycle. And in summer, it's like day one to day 19, do the fast, do the cyclical fast. It really supports estrogen. And it's literally the last 10 days of the cycle just before your period not to fast because progesterone doesn't like cortisol so that's something we can definitely talk on another podcast and i just really find it fascinating like the research in weight loss in women was actually very limited and the impact of hormones but fasting for women as well is something to consider and you also mentioned you work holistically so we talked about fasting what else do you advise patients well, of course, exercise can't be ignored. As we all know, it's one of the best investments in health. But for metabolic syndrome specifically, a mix of cardio, strength training, adding in some high-intensity interval training, and the latest research indicates that isometric exercises, which is engaging muscles and holding them in a position, has been really useful with bringing down blood pressure. So a balanced approach is most optimal. And then there are other protocols that we know of. Everyone knows meditation and breathing. And you're a huge supporter of that too, Shami, in your practice, which I love. And then late to, lately there's been things like emotional freedom techniques, which is a mind-body therapy that draws on traditional Chinese medicine involving tapping key acupressure points. This has been really successful in recent times with helping to lower stress levels and blood pressure. And of course, there's supplementation. Many people in stressful modern day life are deficient in common nutrients. So it might be worthwhile to have these assessed as per an individual basis. Also at Mint Clinic, I use bioimpedance analysis. It's a test, which is one of the best tools to help manage and track metabolic health. It not only looks at body composition, but it provides insight into one's inner cellular function, whether there's inflammation or oxidative stress. It can be used to monitor progress and it's a great tracking tool. That's amazing, Simone. What a brilliant conversation and something that's really important. I believe we need to continue talking about it. We need to continue reminding ourselves the impact of sugar and what it's doing and insulin resistance, the importance of checking fasting insulins and not just checking your fasting glucose, but just highlighting it's just not about diabetes, it's brain health, mental health, long-term health in terms of even like dementia. So the implications are phenomenal and tiny little steps can be taken right now that can have a massive impact on how you feel today. Often preventative health is really hard to feel inspired to do because you're not feeling anything. But when we do reduce that sugar intake, not only comes with weight loss, but reducing inflammation, um, clarity of mind, better focus, more energy, better sleep, all of that happens. So it's actually quite phenomenal, the impact of sugar and how easy we can May you know how easy steps we can take to actually create a difference so thank you so much simone for today and i'd love to know where can people find you so if people are concerned about 
metabolic health or other health issues and need further support and like to book a consult, I'm available at Mint Clinic in Collingwood on Thursdays and NIM Clinic in Hawthorne on Mondays. Amazing. Thank you, Simone, for your time today. Thank you so much, Shami. Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take home message today? Remember it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit the Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au for more resources on how to de-stress, re-energize and reclaim your health. Enjoy the journey.